0: I've seen a lot of Christmases, thank goodness for that. Some were good, some were better, Then some weren't all of that. <laughs> but I've never before seen a Christmas or even dreamed of a Christmas when
1: Welcome to the program everybody. You just stepped inside of Psychotic Bump School, the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul. My name is DJ Rome. I wanna welcome you to this exciting final edition of Psychotic Bump School for the incredible year of 2020. So ladies and gentlemen, tonight, wow, we are finally here y'all. The end of 2020 is upon us. A new year is just around the corner in a few days, as a matter of fact, I'm going to uh, have a very special program. Um, first of all, I'm gonna address that incredible sound and fury that you heard at the top of this episode. <laughs> I'll tell you more about that voice as we go along. But uh, ladies and gentlemen, for the final episode of 2020, uh, I'd like to welcome back the good brother, Mr. Hannibal Taboo. Hannibal Taboo is an award-winning comic book artist and creator, and he's here to help me break down the latest DC installment called Wonder Woman 1984. That's right. The original Wonder Woman from 2017, as far as the big screen is concerned, was a huge success and turned around the entire DC Comics franchise for the big screen. Uh, Does Wonder Woman 1984 live up to that? predecessor uh, we're going to find out and hear from hannibal Taboo as he breaks it on down for wonder woman 1984. so uh that's going to be our final guest for the year also we're going to be having a flashback or a bit of a reflection on the year 2020 highly eventful memorable coronavirus uh protests i mean there, there was so much happening this year and uh, I'm going to try to do my best to capture a uh, synopsis and my final rant of 2020 mm-hmm. and uh, share a little music with you as well. So uh, this is it, y'all. Final show of 2020. So you might want to call your friends and family to the radio or the computer because we are about to set it off. So this is KCWG, the My name is DJ Rome. Welcome to Psychotic Bump School. Stay tuned for more. We'll be right back with our Wonder Woman 1984 review with the good brother Hannibal Taboo. After this.
0: This is Ty Phoenix, and you're listening to Psychotic Bump School with your host, DJ Rome, on KCWG, thetruth.com. The best internet radio station on the planet.
1: We are back. KCWG, thetruth.com's program is called Psychotic Bum School. I'm DJ Rome. And ladies and gentlemen, uh, over this holiday weekend, we finally, finally had the release of Wonder Woman 1984. There was a great fanfare coming out of the original Wonder Woman from a few years ago. It was a tremendous box office success, and people had reasonable expectations for a sequel it's finally landed and due to coronavirus of course it had a limited run or i should say it has a limited run in theaters uh but it is streaming on hbo max and other streaming platforms depending on what your uh bootleg access is but uh we've had a chance to uh view a uh, wonder woman 1984 and i have a very very special guest here back to talk to us about it. You guys know this voice. This brother is super talented. He he knows his stuff. He's uh, an award-winning comic in his own right. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to Psychotic Bump School, our good brother, Mr. Hannibal Taboo. Mr. Taboo, are you there?
2: Hey. Yes, sir, I am with you.
1: Man, Thank you I'm, you. Glad, I'm glad you're with me, man. How in the world are you doing?
2: You know, I, uh, as I say sometimes, I'm as crazy as a horse with no neck, but I'm making it work. Mm.
1: Yes. Oh, and speaking of that, man, it's uh, one of my favorite quotes from uh, the "Motor Booty Affair" album by Parliament. Was uh, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them do the backstroke, brother. So uh, sounds like that you've been ha- sounds like you've been having trouble uh, at times with this year uh, swimming a bit upstream. Uh, whew, and we're we're not even talking extremes. Twenty twenty has been a rough one, right?
2: It's been rough for a lot of people, and it's hard because, you know, personally and professionally, I've made some actual really big strides. I mean, I have four books coming out in the first four months of 2021, but uh, for so many people to have died, for so many people to have suffered, for so many people to have lost, it is very difficult to, uh, you know, uh, walk proudly in my accomplishments knowing how many people have suffered.
1: Oh that's fair that's fair well congratulations i definitely want to hear more about that before we let you go today but that type of measured appreciation for all of what 2020 has brought forth um that that that's a fair analysis good brother and um wow 1984 Wonder Woman. Um you you are somebody who's been here multiple times before and you are famous for watching these big screen adaptations of these legendary comic uh comic book characters and figures and uh storylines that we've grew up with that have now made it onto the big screen. We waited forever to get a big screen rendition of uh Wonder Woman, good brother. So um mm-hmm. What can you tell us about how did you approach this sequel, Wonder Woman 1984, going into it, what your expectations were and what you had to look forward to and how close did it come to meeting your expectations? Good brother, Mr. Hannibal Tabu.
2: Well, I walked in the door without a lot of expectations because I uh, have found that the African proverb is true. Expectations breed disappointment. Mm. So, I walked into it thinking, okay, 1984, sure, let's roll with that, whatever. And uh, I just walked in the movie uh, uh, to see what was going to happen. Um, it it the, the production values are very high. There is a certain MTV-ish uh, perception of the 1980s that uh, is captured here with with almost slavish devotion, and that okay. I, I won't deny works very well. Okay. Um, but there are a large, large number of logistical, racial, political, and, and other challenges that make this film a little bit difficult to digest.
1: Mm. Mm. Well, that you, you just brought some, see, this is why I, I, I wanna be one of the first ones out there to comment on and kind of critique this film, but I, I always am concerned sometimes, especially in this arena, which you know so well, Hannibal, that maybe I missed something and maybe I'm misinterpreting something because I want to talk to you about the special effects of it, but you just reminded me Mm -hmm. of something very critical. It was set in the year 1984. So as soon as you said MTV, Mm -hmm. that took me back to, okay, the production values and the special effects uh, apparatuses, if you will, back then, Mm -hmm. uh, this may have been directly reflective of the time period that they were trying to capture, right? So as far as your comic book recollection, you know, given that you were an avid collector, uh, how closely mm-hmm. can you recall did this particular uh, screen adaptation, Wonder Woman 1984, did it follow a particular storyline in a, a comic series that you're aware of coming up that you read about?
2: In my awareness, there is no comic book storyline that directly maps to what's happening here. Um, okay. There are numerous uh, books where Wonder Woman vows the Cheetah, where they have there are elements of that relationship that have that survived into the movie and actually i think we're done really well i think uh kristen wig or is it kirsten wig i always mix up where the r goes there but anyway right. uh, i think she did a really good job uh with the character of dr barbara minerva uh i believe she did a slightly less job a good job once it got into the actual cheetah who the character actually was
3: mm. but
2: um i i was able to appreciate some of the things that they were able to keep from the relationship between Diana and Dr. Barbara Minerva.
1: Hmm, oh, okay. So what did you appreciate? Because we got to see a vulnerable, very insecure woman sort of transmogrify right in f- before our eyes into this uh, this apex predator, if, if you will. And so uh, what, what were some of those more nuanced, subtle uh, dynamics that you were able to pick up that you really appreciated between Diana and uh, Barbara Minerva?
2: Well, both in the screenplay and in the work of the actors, b- both with Kristen and Pedro Pascal, I believe the motivations of the characters. I felt uh, what they were going through was plausible. I felt that the choices that they made were solid choices based upon uh, wh- how their character had been established. Moreover, um, and and it's funny because Kristen, Kristen Wigg is actually a surprisingly deep dramatic actress who plays for Pratt Falls and humor. Uh, but she has she has an ability to bring a great emotional truth to work, which is honestly very refreshing to see. And I was able to enjoy that part of her performance quite a bit. Um, same for Pedro Pascal, who I literally almost I mean, he's amazing. Um, okay. but there were there were so many other things happening that just, you know, one of my friends uh, uh, posted that his girlfriend said, the reason why people are calling the movie WW eighty four is because you're gonna say, wait, what? eighty-four times throughout the movie. Um, and there were a number of things that was difficult for me to get through, like, wait a minute, that doesn't make, why, wait, what, how, what? Yeah. And and th- those things were, were were challenges for my suspension of disbelief.
1: Well, okay, like what? Because you're a writer, so you're able to, you taught us ah. on the show, Hannibal Taboo, how writers sit in between the raindrops as they're editing, and they, they make choices mm-hmm. in post-production as to what makes the final cut, right? So what were some of those yes. elements that were giving you that was making it difficult for you to suspend your suspension of disbelief?
2: Most of the issues are based on the screenplay. Uh, that first of OK. We're going to go full spoilers here, so let's start there. Let's, let's, uh, let's do it. Second.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: OK, so there's a, uh, the, 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 the McGuffin, the, 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 the catalyst throughout this thing is this kind of monkey's paw, citrine thing that was left, abandoned by some god of lies thousands and thousands of years ago, sure. Whatever. We never directly addressed that. And that's a very, very big deficit. But that's not the first problem that I hit. The okay. first problem that I hit was that the wish that the central character made, a, a central character who is accomplished, brilliant, talented, was to bring back the dead boyfriend that she had 70 years ago. Mm. Now, we've all been in relationships, first of all. So the idea that we, somebody would put it on us so hard that we would pine over them for 70 years and not really do anything else and and be walking around and be considered fine and be considered having it together is a little anti feminist,
1: honestly. It's a little it's a little it's a little, you know, wimpy. But, but Who, what what guy wouldn't want to be what what guy wouldn't want to be that guy to where he was the one he was the one that the woman wanted back because he did put it on her like that. <laughs> I
2: that's guess, the problem I with patriarchy. All of us want to be that guy, but none uh, of us
3: are.
2: Really, factually, none of us are. Women <laughs> are significantly true. better off in a lot of <laughs> cases without our shenanigans. That's I'm so one of true. the best dudes I know, and I'm really annoying. I'm really, really <laughs> annoying all day long. So, yeah. <laughs> that, was, uh, that was my But that led to an actually even bigger problem that her wish did not actually bring back the man she loved. It brought back the spirit of the man she loved in the body of somebody else who lost control of their body without consent mm. she then went home had sex with the body of somebody who did not consent with her you yeah. know, <laughs> all through the purposes of this thing uh, mm. used up his stuff you know went through his house pawed through his belongings all kind of yeah. it's a violation it's and true. if we change the gender if mm. instead we put the spirit of one woman into another woman and had a guy have sex with it we'd be having a drastically more complicated conversation publicly right now uh-oh. It's messy. It's <laughs> really messy.
1: Wow.
2: So some have some online have gone as far as calling what Diana did to this unbeaten body rape. Uh, wow. You know, I'm not going to say it's not, but okay. I'm going to say it's it's very problematic. And that's that's the first thing that I was wrestling with through the through the whole film. Like if somebody kicked you out of your body, mm. where are you? Where have you been those days? What's going on in your life? And when you come back to find all your stuff messed up, and your clothes dirty, and your bed sticky, it's like what sort of what happened? What happened? How do you approach that? Wow! (laughs) He's like you know, yeah, (laughs) it's a problem. So that was my that was the overarching biggest biggest issue that I had walking into this. But there are literally scores more that just had me saying, "Wait, what?" and the more I think about because because when I first watched it, I was like, OK, that wasn't, I mean, the third act I thought was the weakest part. But I was like, there's a not bad movie in here. But the more I thought about it and the more time I spent with the information, I was like, oh, this is not good. This didn't go well at all. This is a, tri- this is a catastrophe. And yeah. it's a shame because it had the, every possibility to go right.
1: Uh, but
3: yeah, so what it's happened? troubling.
1: I mean, same screenwriter, same director. This is Patty Jenkins, right? So what? What? Went Patty wrong? Jenkins. Yeah. What, what went wrong? Well, uh, and
2: I had my I had my challenges with the third act of the first film. I thought that the first two acts of the first film were outstanding, established the character, established the world, did a lot of great things. But the third act fell into a messy, special effects heavy, um, kind of kind of just a, a, a slobber slobberknocker fight that really did not feel. It did not have what I call emotional honesty in that regard. Whereas this one decided to lean, uh, it, the third act decided to lean way too heavily into emotional, uh, 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 what, what was a t- attempted emotional honesty and was naive in its belief that uh, if everybody in the world in 1984 got, had the ability to get their wish that all of them would suddenly renounce it, they would not. They would <laughs> not. There, are, there were a number of the Mujahideen in 1984 facing off against the Russians that would not recant that wish for anything. There are a number of zealots, you know, there are a number of Ku Klux Klansmen throughout the American South and through Utah who would not recant that wish for anything. Mm. And that naivety, presuming that Diana's innate goodness could convince an entire world Mm. to come across and give up the thing that they most desperately wanted, is at
1: best naive and at worst delusional. Wow. Ooh, you, you said a lot there. Now let take walk with walk with me though, because you know, I am the, I, I'm a product of my own patriarchy, right? So I can mm-hmm. rock, I can rock with everything you just said. Now looking through mm-hmm. it through the lens, and I know you've consulted with 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 ladies and you know, maybe even your wife, who I know, you know, y'all, y'all love comics, both of y'all. And so you're a comic book family. So how I mean, overall, I mean through the prism of matriarchy, through the prism of a woman who might appreciate a nonviolent uh, a resolution, if you will. Well, there was plenty of violence, but uh, sort of a peaceful uh, renouncing of, uh, it's kind of like Jimmy Carter, you know, he he's not revered in Republican circles as being a great president, but he prides himself mm-hmm. on ending the Egyptian conflict, you know, which was the presidency that led to Ronald Reagan. He prides himself on not ever firing yep. a shot you know, to to Mm -hmm. bring about peace. So Wonder Woman, Diana Prince didn't have to kill the guy in order to defeat him. So I'm wondering what's your take on sort of a matriarchal appreciation for that aspect of conflict resolution in film that we we rarely get to see because so so much of it is dominated by the patriarchy, right? Well, what I've seen, because uh, my wife did not have time to watch this film,
2: Uh, it's three hours long. Uh, But (laughs) what I've seen from watching other women online has come a, a fair. Most of the people who uh, were able to appreciate the film were able to appreciate the whole the whole package were uh, not women of color. There were one or two. Oh. There were two or three white women I was able to find on Twitter who were like, "This doesn't make any sense. This is logical. This <clears> film's <throat> unlogical, Yada yada yada. But most of the ones who enjoyed it were essentially white women. Um, mm. A lot of the black women, one of the first black women who, who chimed in is like, my father built that train station in DC and he did it in 1988, not 1984. So it oh. wasn't there. So let's start with that oh. and, you know, <laughs> wow. and breaking down the details of it in that regard. So um, mm. it can it can be possible for, for uh, uh, women of color and for people of color to find uh, a reflection of themselves and representation for themselves in something that doesn't look like them. The entire superhero industry is built on that luck. Um, that doesn't mean it happens here so much. And again, with literal the pining that I can't say goodbye and the yada, yada, yada all through it, uh, when her entire life had been devoted to duty. Her entire life had been devoted to making the right choice based upon her Themyscira values, based upon the values the Amazons who raised her and so on and so forth. It was a hard sell. It's it was a, hard a really sell. hard sell.
1: Okay, I'm not mad at you. This is KCWGTheTruth.com. Program is called Psychotic Bum School. I'm DJ Rome. We're chopping it up with the good brother Hannibal Taboo. We are breaking down uh, uh, Wonder Woman 1984, released uh, to the world in limited release on screens. You know, if you're able to find a screen somewhere in the United States during COVID. And of course, streaming on HBO Max. Um, And like you said, it's a two and a half, almost three hour movie. So to sit through all of that, um, what about just, okay, more about the patriarchy. I mean, Diana Prince in the cartoons that I grew up with, watching DC, Super Friends, Justice League, uh, later, you know, reincarnations of it, she did seem to have the ability to fly without the invisible jet. Mm -hmm. Right, mm-hmm. so yep. she, how, the discovery of that ability in this film, how well do you think they handled that part? Because we didn't see her. Did we see her flying in the first Wonder Woman? I don't think we, we did. We did not. Okay, so no. how, how well um, did they handled that?
2: Well, because of the new uh, in the 19 in the comics in 1990s, they introduced the idea of Diana being able to fly unaided, and that's fine, I don't mind. And then uh, more recently they introduced the reason why she was able to do these things because she was actually the daughter of Zeus. Mm
3: -hmm. So
2: the film posited that, uh, that she was able to fly that she had just never actually tried or never actually thought about it
3: Mm -hmm. as
2: um, a a decent present. I don't have so much of a beef with the idea that the daughter of Zeus can fly. That's sure, whatever. What was more concerning was the idea that the daughter of Zeus could lasso a cloud and pull herself along farther. Because as we know, the mass of clouds is not very solid. And <laughs> or her her quote unquote, ride the lightning part where she's lassoing lightning bolts and, and swinging Spider-Man style on that. It's visually beautiful.
3: Mm-hmm. But
2: again, the more time you actually sit back and think about it, you're like, wait a minute. That doesn't make any <laughs> sense. What, wow. How would that even work? Wow. So uh, <laughs> hmm. when 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 you get into those details of it, there were there was a, a, a an overly there was an overly indistinct nature of her powers in, introduced here that made her uh, uh, somewhat of what's called a Mary Sue, a character that can do anything for any reason that feels like it just the plot the time. Yeah. So, for example, in uh, she talks about uh, my father was able to make the entire island invisible, but I've only I did it once and yada. So all of a sudden, she now has the ability to at will make things invisible possibly even permanently hmm. that seems like a useful power to have popped up when you're fighting oh i don't know doomsday in the middle of uh, <laughs> uh, in the middle of uh, uh what's the name metropolis in right. uh, uh, batman versus superman that's right you know, it seems like something that would have come up at different points if she'd learned it oh, wow. in 1984. <laughs> so once you once the longer you spend with this film the more Mm -hmm. it starts to be like no that doesn't make sense wait what Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's 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 what's called fridge logic in the entertainment industry where you're standing at your fridge later on and you're getting something and you're like wait a minute and you think about something and it sticks with you good fridge (laughs) logic makes you go oh that was great bad fridge logic bothers you and makes you think it doesn't make any sense
1: Oh, wow. You know, that's a great point. You know what also made this hit differently for me? You, you brought up Doomsday from Batman versus Superman, which I thought was a, a fairly, uh, she was the best part of Batman versus Superman, in my opinion. When anytime she was. Not a tough to race to win. win. Yes. And so it was something about the, her dramatic entry. It's like that music came on. And mm-hmm. it just hits you. It's like I remember sitting in the theater watching it. In fact, that was the first date that I ever uh, went on with my, you know, my my now wife. And I remember that moment of the movie, and the whole theater just erupted. But that music was even wasn't even part of this. It's like where's what is Rocky Balboa without his theme music? And I didn't hear that little guitar riff. You know, it's like. It just, it didn't hit the same way whenever uh, Wonder Woman appeared in this rendition, 1984. It just, I don't know, it just kind of fell flat for me. But what, okay, the, the The bigger question I'm leading up to is that this this problem that you have helped us learn about, you've educated us on this show about the differences, and I, I hate to make this comparative matrix all the time between DC and Marvel, because I, mm-hmm. I don't know that world, uh, n- not nearly as well as you do, but There's a continuing issue with the way the DC franchise hits on television versus the way it hits on Mm -hmm. the screen. And it it, it seems Mm -hmm. like this is a fallback. I mean, I'm sorry. I mean, I was looking forward to this film and it fell a little short for me for some of the reasons that you're talking about. What is the issue, mm-hmm. with the animal taboo? What keeps happening with the DC friend? I mean, uh, you know, the the Snyder Cut is coming out, you know, in a few months. But what is up with DC on the big screen? This is a fallback. What happened?
2: Okay, you remember when you were in school and you were in a class and there was a test and you'd studied real hard for that test, right? Mm-hmm. And you were ready and you planned and you understood the material. And there was a kid next to you who was screwing around or maybe doing something else. Maybe their mom was sick. Maybe they were working a job, whatever. The point is they did not study. And the test mm. starts, and they start trying to figure out answers fast. <laughs> and they're desperate to get things right. That's the difference between the Marvel film and the oh. DC films. In 2007, I'm sorry, in 2006, Kevin Feige said, I have a plan
3: mm.
2: It will take decades. It will take dozens of movies, but when I tell this plan, it will be the greatest accomplishment in cinematic business ever. Mm. And at Paramount at the time, and the people at Marvel at the time said, you know what, this is a good plan. Let's roll with it. At the same time, the same people over at DC Comics were doing nothing. They were doing something else with their lives or whatever. So after Iron Man, after Captain America, after Thor, after hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars start rolling in, people started have, getting called into meetings, meetings that they were not prepared for mm. and asking for answers that they did not have. Mm. And they said, we have to figure out stuff fast. And mm. haste, as you know, makes mm. waste. Indeed. Some decisions were made. They were not the best decision. They were challenged. Some money was made, but it's not Marvel money. It's not Marvel franchise money. for mm. any. I mean, Guardians of the Galaxy could take on financially most of the mo- m- movies that have happened here. And when you have the literal most recognized brands in the world in terms of this sort of stuff, mm.
3: that's a
2: that's a lot of questions that you have to answer for your boss that you're not prepared to do
3: because mm. they
2: haven't taken the time to say, you know what? Let's just stop. Let's make a real plan and let's be mm. patient and get it right. Mm. They can't stop. They can't wait. So mm. that's why, you know, you every once in a while you look up on the success like Shazam, which I think is a super entertaining movie. Uh, or uh, Aquaman, which is decent, if not being great. Uh, And then you make a lot of missteps, a lot of things that the more you think about them, these were terrible ideas and they look worse
1: as time goes on. Mm. Yeah, so uh, great point. So that parallel that you're talking about, the planning, the preparation, you've shared that with us before. And I think it Mm -hmm. was Patty, Patty Jenkins, the director of both Wonder Woman films, who she sat down with uh, the powers that be at DC and said, maybe we need to reconsider this whole world thing. Cause you know, with Marvel, all those stories are connected to one big major story. Mm-hmm. And yep. now they're DC, you know, can you talk to us about that a little bit? The, the the what? How powerful was that? Should they just leave that alone and not even try to duplicate that formula with DC and just make great standalone films? What What are your thoughts on that?
2: well uh the ability to make great standalone films in and of itself is hard there was an old saying that it's as hard to make a good hour tv as it is to make a bad hour tv so Mm. the amount of effort is no different uh the only difference is how patient are you so you know uh the people uh, at marvel and ultimately, when Disney came in and bought out Paramount Steak and so on and so forth, they're enormously patient people because they saw the plan. A good business plan, you know, is the difference between Apple computers and, you know, there was an Apple clone. I can't even remember that. I used to have one. But anyway, uh, hmm. you know, you build a plan and you're patient with it and it works over time. It's not supposed to be an instant success under any circumstances, especially when you're not the first to do it. Okay. Uh, I don't believe that the idea of a shared universe between films is something that should be so easily abandoned. I do believe that it's hard to do if you're not willing to go and stop everything else you're doing and do Mm -hmm. the homework. That's right. But that does not seem like something that is feasible based upon the business model that they have going on.
4: you, and the power you possess, in your satin tights, fighting for your rights, and the old red, white, and blue, Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman, now the world is ready for you, I'm
1: Well, they're doing well on the TV, uh, the small screen, and um, I'm, I'm happy to say that. And I grew up on DC. I didn't even grow up watching Marvel, but Marvel, you know, as an adult, man, I can't. I, it's not even close. I mean, Marvel rules that universe. A Wonder Woman 1984 is a, a pleasant escape, you know, during COVID and the holiday season. I mean, people have been down. And as you said at the top, man, it's been a tough year. So people were looking forward cool. to this with great anticipation. And so it provided a, a bit of escapism for about 90 minutes or two, no, two and a half, almost three hours. And uh, mm-hmm. for, that, for that, you know, I I can appreciate that they. Uh, made the tough decision because they're, they're going to take a huge financial hit, right? I mean, that, that goes without saying that the budget that went into making this film and the get back on the back end, uh, it, it's not going to recoup this, uh budget. Uh, wouldn't you say? Isn't that a pretty safe estimate to surmise?
2: I mean, the the box office opening was $16 million. Uh That's people who actually got out of their houses and went to a theater to watch this for $16 okay. million. Dollars. Sure. Okay. Um I guess that's good. I don't know. I mean, mm. matter of fact, why am I using my own brain when I, the uh, internet can actually tell me these things? Right. There's right. a site called Box Office Mojo that I go to a lot. Yes. Box, Box Office Mojo has all of the actual information, so mm-hmm. um, well, I don't know uh, the budget, but they will. And uh, absolutely. Uh, here it is. Uh, the budget for this was
1: uh, let's. See. See, as the budget for the first is. one and what they took in from the original wonder woman far exceeded the budget which was a pleasant and welcoming uh you know breaking the mold for dc you know uh started by aquaman of course and then they followed that uh at some point with the original wonder woman which uh did very well in recouping its original budget so what is the uh the budget for uh wonder woman 1982 Look at here Ironically, uh, they only have the the box offs
2: because it's made worldwide eighty five million dollars uh, this weekend, which is not bad, yeah, you know. For not weekend, I mean, not
1: bad. Absolutely, absolutely, and I think they are going to have to heavily on those international markets, right? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and plus the long tail
2: uh, solution here, of course, is looking at uh, the the subscriptions for HBO Max. The HBO Max. It's something that they want to drive people to and make sure that it is coming out in a very big way, especially with the push that Disney Plus is making to be the number one mm-hmm. thing. Um, so oh here we go. Yeah, it was a two hundred million dollar budget. So mm-hmm. um oh, they got you know, long it's long. made back
1: I mean it's made back well, actually, it yeah. weekend. Yeah, that's not bad. That ain't bad. That ain't bad. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's not Marvel numbers, but it ain't bad. (laughs) But it ain't bad. It's not bad for DC. I want them to win. I want them to be successful, but I keep, I I just don't, well, you, I mean, I know now you're telling us what the problem is. You're telling us what the problem is. And by the looks of current things, it doesn't look like it's going to change the trajectory of it anyway. It's not going to change anytime soon. So uh, would you (laughs) (laughs) I want to talk to you about that. Um, Overall, your recommendation? Do you recommend Wonder Woman, nineteen eighty-four? I mean, you know, we have spoiled on this. I one, can't. So you you cannot.
2: I, I can't recommend. I mean, but between between the 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 impropriety of what happened using somebody's body for your own amusement, <laughs> between the uh, whining and pining over this, between the terrible special effects on Cheetah, between mm-hmm. the implausibility issues with her power, between uh uh the the fact that. If this was supposed to be Washington, D.C. in 1984, it was significantly paler than the actual f- effects of the, the city were. That mm. you know, the only black people you see are a homeless guy, a cop and maybe uh, a break yes. dancer of mixed race. Come on. In, in Chocolate City in 1984. <laughs> mm. So. While while I appreciate it, for I, I appreciate there are a lot of people who did enjoy this. A lot of my friends in, who are comic book writers in the comic book community did enjoy this this weekend. And I have no desire to take that joy from them. I just cannot share it. And I absolutely cannot recommend it.
1: That's straight from Hannibal Taboo, y'all. Well, this is KCWG, thetruth.com, this program called Psychotic Bum School, I'm DJ Rome. Uh, Hannibal Taboo is breaking down Wonder Woman 1984 uh we're talking comics and this is the guy ladies and gentlemen y'all know this voice man this, this guy is so informed uh i love having his take on this show and he's always been a blessing to me and to all of you so uh, before we let you go good brother uh i definitely want to talk about your projects coming out but uh we've been alluding to the snyder cut uh just to speak uh is reportedly going to have a reissue Um, Can you break that down? Uh, Tell us why we're even talking about the Snyder cut. What is the Snyder cut and what's happening with that? Can you break that down for us?
2: Yes, sir. Um, So Zack Snyder is a director and he uh, was directing the Justice League film and things got complicated between him and the studio. We don't know the specifics of it. Nobody wants to talk. He was removed ultimately as director of the film, and Joss Whedon, who now has his own set of problems, was brought in to direct the film and complete it. Um, The film that we saw in studio, well, that I saw on a plane, but some people saw in theaters, was uh, directed essentially mostly from Joss Whedon. There was significant recuts and. Uh Zack Snyder implied that he had a different script, a different idea, that his cut of the film would have been drastically different. So a body of fans, many of whom are white males, there, I'm sure there's some that are not, but I've never seen any, mm-hmm. um, have pushed for the company to release the Snyder Cut, to bring back this unadulterated vision uh, of, of Zack Snyder that they believe is going to redeem their faith in the franchise and yada, yada, yada. Mm. So after years of complaining, I do mean years, very serious online yelling from uh, a group that is actually significantly numerically smaller than they seem from the amount of yelling that they do, the mm. studio relented. And they said, Zack Snyder will give you whatever you want to finish your cut of the movie. He said, OK, I need a lot of money and I need the actors back. I need to do a reshoot. They're Like, I thought you had the footage. You know? He's like, that's not what I asked you. So they said, okay, and they gave him all this money and all the, all the actors came back and mm. reshoots galore and new effects and yada, yada. And as I understand, it's supposed to be drastically longer. Yeah. Uh, but we will apparently on HBO Max, well, let me correct that. Some will, because I'm not going to watch it, but some will mm-hmm. see uh, Sna- Zack Snyder's vision of what the Justice League was supposed to be on HBO Max. And, mm-hmm. you know, I believe it sets a bad precedent in that it allows believe they can pressure companies into editing the content as they feel. Um it gives them a sense of entitlement that Americans already enjoy at way too high a level. Uh <laughs> and, and and can only increase a toxic entertainment 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 environment that, you know, made life heck for John boyega Kelly Murray Tran, and so on and so
1: forth. Oh, you man, you touched on so yeah, much I did right that. There. You did that. John Boy Oh my God. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but wait a minute, you're you're not gonna see. Okay, so I also read somewhere that this was further complicated by didn't he had a tragedy in his, his personal life, right? Zack Snyder. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, he... as
2: I understand, there was a number of reasons why he was not able to film finish the film, including a personal tragedy. I don't know all the details. It's not my business to know all the details. Okay, but I, I do understand that though that something happened and and it was not good.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think I, his daughter or somebody um, may have committed suicide, something something horrible, but nevertheless, uh, he was not able to finish this film. And you said you watched the original on an airplane. But what, what would stop you from watching this? I mean, I do think an aficionado such as yourself would be curious to just for the sake of just curiosity and being a completist uh, that you would want to see this. Why, why won't you uh, even check it out?
2: Well, curiosity as a child, I was told, could be very lethal to some people, and I wasn't interested in that. And uh, completism is the sort of thing that gives people to buy comic books. Years after that, it's actually stopped being good. I don't have any Mm -hmm. of those things. What I do is, I I started to watch the film on a plane. I was flying internationally from, I think at the time, I was flying from London back to the United States because my family, I'd taken them overseas for something. And I started it and I wasn't able to finish it because it was so bad. I was like, oh, Mm. I cannot finish this. So Mm. I came home. I forgot about it for months. HBO Max comes out. I saw it was on HBO Max. I'm like, maybe I'll just finish it. Maybe I'll just just to see, just so I'll know for myself. And at the end of it, as the the final film was done, I said, that was a terrible mistake that I immediately Mm. regret. It Mm. was a terrible, terrible mistake watching that film. That I immediately regret because I had already seen Batman versus Superman, which is terrible. I had already seen Man of Steel, which is terrible, and this was supposed to be a direct line continuation from those things. So if it fooled me once, fooled me twice, the Mm. third time is my fault. (laughs) So if they think that I'm going to reinvest more time of my life Mm. in a Zack Snyder cut that is encouraged by the most mouth breathing, least competent people in in the world, Mm. I'm gonna pass. I'm gonna watch. I'm going to go watch Sophie Love or I'm going to watch, you know, something that Uh-oh. actually will enrich my life.
1: Yes. <laughs> so. yes, Or a John Boyega film. <laughs> um, I
2: know he's got another one out that I haven't
1: seen. yet. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to it because of course, you know, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Hannibal's alluding to John Boyega, I'm assuming because of uh, the prominence that he uh, spoke through, through this whole George Floyd, Breonna Taylor. I mean, he just said, look, I make movies, yes, but I'm a black man first, and this is some BS. Uh, I'll let you pull up his clips. Uh, John Boyega famously starred in Star Wars, uh, the brother. And uh, y'all, if you're not hip to where John Boyega is coming from these days, uh, it would be worth a good look for you to go check that out. So here, here I, I gotta ask this because you're you're a filmmaker, a writer, you know this stuff, so. The the problem that I had, even with Wonder Woman 1984, Hannibal, is that, and I said this while we were watching together with my family. It's like, man, it looks a little campy. It looks cheesy. And I have a friend, Dr. Stephen Mack, who, you know, back in the day when we worked together, he said, man, what does cheesy mean? It's like, it means it looks cheap. It doesn't look like it was done at a high level. So I'm going to ask you, man, someone who writes stories, how what what prevents a film? Because you talk about the suspension of disbelief, which I think is a, is incredibly appropriate here. But how does a film prevent itself from becoming campy and still be entertaining and believable? And I'll give you an example before you respond, because I love the movie uh, Scream the the series by uh, mm-hmm. that was uh, uh, a a a mockery or a, a parody of the, uh, uh, the, the the horror franchise, uh, Scream. Mm-hmm. I, I loved all of them. They were all good to me. They were all entertaining without becoming overtly stupid. I mean, I don't know if that makes sense, but how do you thread that needle so that your writing and what comes across on screen, like, like Ax and Jackson say, hey, I gotta go catch a cab. And then everything just blows up. And now he's running down the street chasing a cab. It's like, really? It's like I had high hopes, Carl Weathers, and I know I'm dating myself. This is way back in 1987 and (laughs) with Vanity and everything. But you just lost me. It's over. You're not getting me back. So how does a film avoid doing that? Because I feel like these films that we're talking about have not succeeded in doing so. Mr. Hannibal Taboo, can you help us with that?
2: There is uh, something called lampshade hanging which uh, people have noted as far back as in Shakespeare, where in Twelfth Night, Act Three, Scene Four, he had a character said, if this were played upon the stage right now, I could condemn it as an improbable fiction. And this was, of course, a character on a stage saying this to an audience for a, an effect. Yeah. When uh, it's a writer's trick of dealing with any element of story that threatens the audience's willing to sp- suspension of disbelief. And it assured the audience that the author is aware of the implausible plot development, that they aren't trying to slip something past the audience. So Sometimes mm-hmm. this is done by breaking the third wall, by uh, winking at the audience, by having an aside to the audience. <laughs> uh, yes. Saved by the Bell used to do this a lot. Fresh Prince used to do this a lot. Or mm-hmm. sometimes it's done in more uh, uh, more, more subtle ways in the actual script. This is the easiest way to do it. I don't want to say that there's not a room room for camp entertainment. There are people who love camp. There are mm-hmm. people who love cheesiness. There are people who go for that in a big way. It's mm-hmm. not everybody because nothing is everybody. But... Um, if they were trying to avoid that, lampshade hanging is the most common and most modern method to do so. Where uh, you know the 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 something in the something in the script implies, yeah, we know this doesn't make any sense, but this is what. Oh, uh-huh. my, my favorite one is in Austin Powers when um, uh, Austin says, "And I've just gone cross-eyed." And then yeah, Nigel system. Well, Austin, don't worry about to, don't think about how time travel works. Don't worry about, it. just go back in time and have fun. And it looks at the camera. And mm. that goes for you too. <laughs> <laughs> okay. At that point you're like, uh, okay. All right, let's just roll with. It. Let's okay, just cool. Go. Yeah, but, you know, it's hard to roll with sleeping with a guy's unwilling body. Mm. <laughs> oh my God.
1: See Sorry, you can't you, let, you, let it go. You can't let it go. And so once they do that, it's like, <laughs> look, you just insulted my intelligence. I can't get this hour back that I've been spending, you know, giving you a chance. And now It's over. I I, I just got to. You're making me want to get off the airplane now. This is so bad for Hannibal Taboo. It's like, man, (laughs) this is bad. Lampshade hanging. I I heard you use that terminology before, but I didn't have the presence of mind to ask you to clarify and explain it. You just broke it down like a professor, Mm -hmm. Hannibal Taboo. So that's why I just read it. (laughs) it. There's a site called TVTropes.org. I just read
2: it off the site because I'm like, oh, I don't have to use my brain. We have the Internet.
1: <laughs> I don't care if you didn't use your brain and use the internet because it it makes sense. I've been done. I didn't even know how to look it up. You at least you knew how to look it up because I'm like, what is that? Why do these films keep going down the wrong pathway? Why does it become so such as an experience that I wish I didn't invest that hour in? You know. And I'll use another one since we're talking yeah. about film because I appreciate Spike Lee, and he hasn't done, to my knowledge, he hasn't done any comic book. Uh, adaptations from comic book to screen, nope. as far as I know. But the brother is campy as heck because he had this film a few years ago, Hannibal, called uh Chirac. And the mm. premise Oh of yeah, it,
2: I better show it.
1: Man, I tried, I really, really, really tried to watch it all the way through. But I'm like, it was so bad to me. I stopped, I rented it. Hannibal Taboo, I rented it. I, I dropped yeah. a $5.99 on whatever streaming platform it was at the time. I said, I'm gonna give it a chance because it's Spike Lee, come on. And I was so disappointed. It, it was so silly to me. And he had all that top level, he had A-listers in the film from Angela Bassett, yep. to Samuel L. Jackson to Wesley Snipes and oh my mm-hmm. God. And it was horrible because it, it, it lacked that yeah. element. Oh, man. Go ahead. Yeah. It's
2: it's also hard because Chirac in particular was supposed to be an adaptation of a classical Greek comedy play called Lysistrata by Yes. And it was based upon, you know, that idea. But it it was the way I use the term slavish devotion. It was too devoted to a specific interpretation of that Mm. uh, without. Uh, 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 in following the letter of the law it let go of the spirit of the law in that Uh regard if if you'll forgive the phrase here, yes and that I mean I could I love Spike and I couldn't finish Iraq I I couldn't I just couldn't
1: (laughs) you couldn't finish Iraq either huh I tried I, I tried bro I tried it's like I think he's been better again we're not talking about Spike Lee but when he, uh, he won his Oscar, but as a producer, right, for uh, Black Klansman, it wasn't as a screenwriter. Mm-hmm. Cause I, I think he, he needs, mm-hmm. it's kind of like Philip Bailey without uh, Maurice White, Earth, Wind & Fire. I mean, together wow. & Fire, they're powerful. They're mighty, 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 mighty. Maurice White goes solo. Yeah, he has his little hit, you know, and it was a big hit. He did a re- remake of Stand By Me. You know, it's Maurice White, we give it a shot but the rest of the Chinese
2: wall he did Chinese uh, wall for Philip Bailey
1: yes I mean yeah
2: did yeah he did
1: something
2: uh, easy lover with Phil Collins yeah
1: yes yes look at you I bet you didn't even have to look that one up did you
2: (laughs) nope that one I knew off the top of my head
1: (laughs) but I'm saying it's like the this the formula has to be right and sometimes you need somebody to balance you out so you don't go off the deep end it's kind of like Remember, uh, man, we're, we're so off topic now, Hannibal, but remember the movie Boomerang? Remember uh, when yeah. uh, Eddie Murphy turned loose? He's like, wait, I have complete autonomy? <laughs> what could go wrong? And then you get the Stranger commercial. <laughs> it's like, yes. oh, my God. Oh my God. What did I unleash? But this is KCWG, The Truth.com's program's called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome. Uh, we're chatting with the good brother, Mr. Hannibal Taboo. He is breaking down writing and filmmaking. Uh, we started off talking about Wonder Woman 1984, and we just talked about DC Comics and filmmaking and writing. The good brother is just breaking it down to his final compound. I can't thank you enough for being here, good brother. Uh, you have, have some to coming out. Oh, man. Thank you so much. You have some projects coming out that you talked about at the top of the uh, the top of this segment here. Uh, What you got going on, good brother? You sound like you, despite the the troubles of 2020, um, you have been able to bring out of it a bit of a silver lining. Uh, Can you talk to us about what you've been up to and what you're anticipating heading into 2021?
2: Yes, sir. Uh, So in February, there'll be three books uh, that I'm involved with coming out the first. Is a mini series from a company called Wonderman Comics. They're an online uh, publisher called War Medicine. And it's basically a story described as uh, uh, a, a Native American shaman who's half uh, half black against a voodoo practitioner. And uh, that's a three issue limited series that starts in February. I'm um, getting the art back now from uh, Roy Allen Martinez, who uh, worked on one of the Zoro books. He's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's going to be coming out in February. I'm also in two anthologies in February. One is a comic book anthology called Noir is the New Black. From Fair Square Comics, which is uh, all black creators doing noir stories. Uh, the same character from that is in a prose anthology uh, called Cyberpunk, which is all black creators doing cyberpunk stories uh, with the all- black owned publisher uh, MV Media out of a- Atlanta. Um, so that's just February. And then I'm pushing very hard for April. I have a book uh, that I co authored with Joe Illich, a 120 page graphic novel called MPLS Sound which is set in Minneapolis around the time that Prince was getting going in 1982, 1983, uh, in that mm-hmm. era. Mm-hmm. And uh, it talks about some of the politics and some of the uh, things that were happening on that music scene at that time. So that's mm-hmm. going to be a big 120 page graphic novel that's coming out that I'm making a big push for. It's April 2021. And, you know, I'm still lining up things for later in the year. I've still got webcomics on operative.net. So yeah. I'm, I'm I'm staying I'm staying busy.
1: You you uh oh, that's an understatement, good brother. I can't wait for that stuff to come out. And since we already know you're not going to watch the Snyder cut, we'll just have you on back to talk about your own stuff, good brother. That sounds like an amazing array of uh work. I mean, isn't it nice to be to, to be able to look back on this this monster of 2020 and to be able to appreciate a body of work and effort and blood, sweat, and tears that'll manifest into something uh you know, we we hope uh that's fruitful. And, you know, and if nothing else, Hannibal, I mean, I, I hope it serves as an inspiration to to many others who are listening to this, that you can turn, you, you can be the skin in your own life if you just sort of do your best to leverage what opportunity life throws at you. Because, man, we were thrown something horrific in 2020, mm-hmm. and many of us had to turn within to find ourselves all over again. And uh, this stuff that you're talking about that you're doing, man, is, you know, it, it's inspirational to me. And I hope it's inspirational to the people listening out there. You alluded to operative.net, good brother. Thank you so much. I hope you'll come back in 2020, and 2021 and share this stuff with us. What's the best way for people to follow the work of Hannibal Taboo, keep in touch with you and to be able to anticipate these amazing projects coming out?
2: Well, I can be found on social media, at at sign Hannibal Taboo, and that's on Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook, Tumblr, Radiation from the Sun, uh, the back of a script that Patty Jenkins threw away, everywhere that you want to be. And of course, my website is HannibalTaboo.com. I have weekly reviews on BleedingCool.com, and I'm on the iHeartRadio podcast, Nerdorama with Mo and Tawala, every Wednesday with comic book reviews. Uh, and I'm trying to think if I'm forgetting anything. Oh, and of course my own radio show. Uh, I'm on KQBHLP, a low-powered FM radio station at 101.5 uh, mm-hmm. FM in Los Angeles, and it's also LPFM.LA in your browser. LPFM.LA in your browser, and I'm there Alt Fridays mm-hmm. at five. And uh, you can also on my HannibalTaboo.com site find my Mix Cloud, which has uh, my mixes uh, there. If you aren't able to catch the show live.
1: Wow. Multi-hyphenated, multi-talented cat. Good brother. And we can see why you got the advice of not to be too curious because you are a cat that needs all your lives, good brother, because you you, you <laughs> got many irons in the fire, good brother. You're full of talent. Well, uh, man, you're the final guest of uh, 2020 in a year that will go down in the record books, good brother. Uh, I couldn't have found a better person. Thank you, man. And uh, thank you for thank being you. here. Thank you for doing you and um, continue success to you, good brother. OK.
2: Thank you. I'll just make one quick note. Patty yep.
1: Jenkins has been greenlit for
2: Wonder Woman 3. It is in variety.
1: I can't wait. I can't wait. Wait. I'm not. I'm still not over this <laughs> one. <laughs> well, thank you for letting us know. Don't they want to wait for the returns to come back first? Or are they just going to see, that's the nope. see that? Nope. All done. Done deal. Well, and that's the that's the problem. I mean, you know, some people are allowed to fail going up while others like John Boyega have to. Well, anyway. Well, thank you, Hannibal Taboo. Well, come on.
0: Christmas shopping, Been in a store, up in this shopping mall. A bag full of presents and Christmas stockings, heart full of love, spread joy, the wine and all. Everywhere you go around the world, you can see her. There's a woman doing the shopping because Mr. Santa Claus paying the cost and still above boss For there'd be no Christmas without Mrs. Santa Claus Look at Mr. Santa at the Christmas tree lot Probing and measuring every Christmas tree they've got Decorations for the inside and out on her block. She's gonna have the prettiest house. She has love so genuine and Selfish free. You can tell by the presents under the Christmas tree. mistress Santa works hard every day and supports the cause. Christmas Without Mrs. Santa Claus. Oh yes. Oh, oh yes. Mrs. Santa Claus. Oh yes. Mrs. Santa
1: Claus. La 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 la. Yeah sing it pops this is kcwg the truth.com's program called psychotic bump school i'm dj rome we're listening to the music of the olympics this is a song called without mrs santa claus written by william james Devase. that's my father y'all that's right i told you i'd tell you who that wonderful voice was at the top of this program that's my father the late great william james Devase. stay tuned for more we have a look back at 2020 coming up after the break stay tuned for more y'all
0: party Christmas night after dinner's done The host with the most says everybody can come.
1: 2020 has not been a kind year. It's been a year that preyed on the weak and the sick. A year that claimed lives and tested trust. A year filled with division and upended by chaos. It's been a year dominated by staggering loss of life across the world. But it's a world still filled with courage, compassion, and heart.
0: This is your girl, Tori Alamaze, straight from the ATL. And you're listening to Psychotic Bump School with your host, DJ Rome, at KCWG, thetruth.com. The best internet radio on the planet.
1: Well, here we are, y'all. This year has been quite one of reckoning and one that we will not soon forget. 2020 um how do we characterize it in just one fell swoop it was the year of everything Uh, once in a generation pandemic called coronavirus Uh, we had uh, to deal with a a, a wannabe dictator and donald john trump we had a record-setting general election we had protests we had police brutality and demonstrations and Uh, contesting election results and absolute um, critical challenges to democracy itself all in one year. Um, And that's not even the half of it. I mean, school closures, business closures, crashing economy. And to top it all off, uh, the government couldn't get its act together soon enough to help the people with stimulus checks uh, prior to the Christmas holiday um as we speak as you're listening to this uh the occupant of the white house just for a few more days thank god uh finally has signed a stimulus agreement that was part of the original plan that was sent uh to his desk uh that he suddenly blew up claiming that he wanted $2000 payments instead of uh 600 which of course nobody would have a problem with that but it was the fact that he had been completely absent from the process for so long and in his uh fit of rage to to exert an exact revenge on republicans and the gop he said hey i'm not signing it until you take this and that out two thousand dollar checks um democrats called his bluff and of course Uh, the Republicans in the Senate rejected it. So on and on and on it goes. However, uh, the end result of that piece right there is that uh, a a stimulus was signed by Trump and uh, people are going to get some relief. Um, It's no telling exactly when that'll happen. Uh, The likelihood of it happening before 2021 arrives in just a few short days is uh, quite slim. But the fact that this is what we're dealing with in 2020, or what we have been dealing with. Just an intransigent um, occupant, a petulant child, uh, leading this country, and it, it was just so difficult already to deal with the realities of uh, coronavirus pandemic, and uh, it, it just sort of caps off such uh, a year that, again. Uh, we're not gonna forget about this for a very long time. So I wanted to spend a little bit of time of reflection on 2020. Um, speaking of reflection, I've been playing music of my father, William James DeVace. Um, he was part of a singing group called the Olympics, a legendary R&B singing group who had major, major big hits in the 50s and 60s. And he toured the world with them. Uh, for about 28, almost 30 years. Uh, he was not an original member, but uh, he toured with that group and they were a big part of his life. And in his passing, he wanted to leave a remembrance that would be here forever, long after he left this uh, mortal realm. Uh, the album was called Big City Christmas and uh, he wrote all of the songs on it, lead vocals by uh, the wonderfully talented Bell Omar, who is still with us and um, my father, William DeVace. And um, it just brought home the fact that so many of us, not only has uh, my father been gone since 2009, but people in this year, 2020, have experienced losses that uh, made their holiday season a lot more different, a lot more painful. Um, there was a lot of sadness this year. Uh, just coping with the realities of the the totality and gravity of the losses um, exacted by this pandemic. And uh, it just brought it right on home that uh, people have been hurting in 2020 and have long been looking forward to 2021 but it didn't start off that way you know and that's why i wanted to do a little bit of a reflection because coming into 2020 everybody was saying yo this is going to be the year you know we got a fresh decade a fresh start and yes we knew we were heading into an election year but people also uh came into it with a high level of optimism you know and you know even my family we started off the year uh on vacation you know we were in hawaii and uh looked like it was going to be a beautiful year and um it it started off great but then things got strange kind of right away so uh what i'm about to do is uh, do a little recap of some of the things that happened that were of a significant consequence and this is not an exhaustive uh summary ladies and gentlemen but just some of the things that uh came to the attention of psychotic Bum school and we uh wanted to make a mention of it at the time it was happening so i'd say the first shot across the bow was uh the show on january 6th um there was a wonderful talented uh young mc by the name of lexi alajay lexi alajay out of minneapolis now this is some foreshadowing for uh all of y'all <laughs> you know lexi Alaj um died of a drug overdose um, she was in her very early 20s, uh, beautiful, talented young lady. She's actually the granddaughter of the late great Roger Troutman of Zap. And uh, we lost her in January. And so Minneapolis was looking forward to watching the rise of her career, and it was cut short. And of course, that kind came right on the heels of losing uh, rapper Juice World uh, not too far ahead of that. And so Lexi was sort of a sign of things to come. And um, we we didn't know what we were going to be getting. Uh, this is pre-pandemic time, and we were just hoping that this wasn't going to be another uh, Grim Reaper type of year like it was in 2016 when we lost all of those celebrities, from George Michael to David Bowie to Prince. Um, we were hoping we weren't in for another year like that. Um, and then uh, things just started to get a little crazy. Um, in February, the very next month, uh, the world was in utter, utter uh, just just oh my God! This 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 was such a huge event. Uh, we lost Kobe Bryant in a helicopter crash with his baby girl Gianna. Uh, that was on uh, February. Uh, early February. It was the same month we paid tribute to um, David Lee Spradley, uh, the writer and author of Atomic Dog. And uh, we also had to spend some time with uh, Steve Kim from ESPN. And uh, he was talking to us about the loss, the shocking, tragic loss of Kobe Bean Bryant in a helicopter helicopter crash. Uh, Took our breath away. I mean, it, it was quite uh, unexpected development that no one saw coming. And um, Kobe was just coming into the prime of his life uh, post basketball, um, being very, very happy to be a girl dad. And he died with his baby girl uh, by his side. And uh, so 2020 took a very, very downward turn right about then. And it, it just was sadly a sign of things to come. And um, so fast forward to March. Um, What we did know in March, it was that the pandemic was already in this country. Uh, It had apparently uh, leaked out from the country of uh, or the continent of uh, Asia, uh, from China, Wuhan to be exact. Um, And, you know, the occupant of the White House wants to place the blame singularly on Wuhan and China. Uh, he's the um, professed leader of the United States, so therefore it was his job to respond to it. And what he did instead of warn the country about the the, the fatality of the virus, he instead decided, decided to downplay it. And that had very, very uh, consequential uh, effects upon the country. And so we had the first deaths in the country uh, to coronavirus, uh, I believe in California. Um, People didn't know what was happening at the time. And all of a sudden um, schools are closing and suddenly we're in a pandemic. Suddenly it is, highly contagious, and people were still trying to figure out what was really hitting us, okay? It was like an invisible monster that was just sweeping through the country, uh, particularly in New York City, and uh, that was the first major epicenter of the virus, and it was wreaking absolute havoc on this country, and so there you go. I mean, that was pretty much uh, right then and there in early march 2020 was when this country and the whole entire world was fighting the same enemy coronavirus it was here it was um highly politicized even though it should not have been uh people weren't really uh, understanding the the depth of it uh we didn't have any uh, a lot of uh, you know, access to experts and epidemiologists at the time. You know, I think very little was known about Dr. Anthony Fauci at the time. And so as the year uh, inched on, of course we became to become quite familiar with him. And that's when they started to tell us, you know, make sure you wash your hands, make sure you wear a mask, make sure you practice social distancing, make sure that uh, you're not um, staying with, in uh, six feet too long, you know, for longer than 15 minutes. And uh, all of these precautions that were recommended, and uh, there was a time when we actually were, you know, adhering to it, at least in California, and we were one of the first states to shut it all the way down. And uh, we were the talk of the entire country as the uh, so-called curve uh, flattened. Uh, It didn't last long because the, the collective response of the coronavirus was highly dependent upon the behavior uh, of the people as a nation, as a whole. I mean, this is something that other nations uh, vowed to fight together. And so they instituted some restrictions early in the uh, pandemic. And the results that they uh, ended up uh, getting were far less um, numeric compared to the United States. You know, As of this uh, show, we have upwards of 330,000 dead Americans from the same bullet. I mean, think about that. That's more people uh, every day uh, that than passed in the uh, September 11th attacks back in 2001. We were, for a stretch, we were literally having a 9-11 every single day. And with such a lackluster response from uh, the outgoing occupant of the White House, I mean, we uh, we were in for a fight. We were in for a very tough time. And so, all I can say is, is that uh, the, the world and this country was just trying to deal with that. And then, um, summer was fast approaching and then the world <laughs> shifted again beneath our feet. Um, young man named George Floyd. Was um, under the knee of Derek Chauvin, Officer Derek Chauvin in Minneapolis. And for eight minutes and 46 seconds, he kneeled on him and took his life. And so, what that set off was a chain event, a uh, chain reaction of protests that not only lit up the uh, city of Minneapolis. And again, I had told you that uh, the Lexi Allergy was just sort of a foreshadowing of what was to come from Minneapolis in January. In May, once uh, this story became national news, um, it reverberated instantly. And all over the state of Minnesota, across the country, across the world, people saw that video, and they saw Officer Derek Chauvin kneeling on George Floyd's neck for 8 minutes and 46 seconds. We were already facing a coronavirus pandemic. We were already sheltering in place. We had nowhere to go. We couldn't look away from it if we wanted to. And so uh, people responded. So despite the fact that there was a pandemic going on, people hit the streets. They started protesting. They started destroying police precincts. it, it was a, a, a crisis in this country, of racial profiling of uh, a reckoning of the value of black lives. And we did not have any answers for anybody that had previously looked upon the United States as a beacon of freedom and a role model for the rest of the world. Uh, we had to come to terms with the fact that we had a serious, serious race problem in this country. It all came to a fold and it hit the fan in uh, the year of 2020 and uh, George Floyd and people were asking, well, why this one compared to all the others? I mean, there was Breonna Taylor just a couple months before that in March in Kentucky, and there were some uh, concerns expressed about the fact that it wasn't getting uh, near the national attention that George Floyd was. But uh, the reason being was that George Floyd was caught on camera and. Again, just the cruelty of leaning on somebody for eight minutes and 46 seconds is different from catching a bullet. Now this is not a competition. Uh, what happened to Breonna Taylor should not have happened. And of course, later on, we found out later in the year that the officers would not be uh, held accountable for their actions. And so that set off another uh, chain of protests and responses uh, from the community. and. We just had to deal with all of that, okay? We had celebrity passings. We had politicians coming down with coronavirus. Uh, former presidential contender on the Republican side, Herman Kane, passed away on July 30th. Uh, we lost uh, major figures in civil rights who uh, didn't pass from coronavirus but represented sort of a sea change that was happening in this country. Uh, we lost C.T. Vivian, Uh, one of the uh, earliest uh, advisors to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And uh, he passed just before his uh, protege, uh, the late great John Lewis. They passed within a day or two of one another. Uh, C.T. Vivian was 95, John Lewis was 80. And so uh, it was a rough year. I mean, we we were already dealing with uh, all of that and come to find out we, we were in for even more. And I have to say one more thing, um, when it came time to, um, you know, try to reckon with all of that, uh, we got another punch in the gut. And um, this one, um, you know, I, I was trying to figure out which one had uh, the most impact. Um, but the passing of uh, Chadwick Bozeman in late August of 2020 was a shocker. And it sent the black community reeling once again. I mean, it it was such a gut punch. We were dealing with so much already, and then we lost our King T'Challa, okay? Chadwick Boseman, uh, very recently, they've been screening um, Ma Rainey, the Ma Rainey movie, and uh, his final performance on a screen. I mean, maybe there'll be some other posthumous releases, but uh, that was so unexpected. Nobody had any idea that he was sick. Uh, he died of prostate cancer. Uh, he filmed a lot of his greatest roles that we came to love him for while he was dealing with prostate cancer and chemotherapy. And so we, uh, we were hurting over that one. Um, on this show, we tried to capture all of these uh, major, major events and uh, try to keep some sanity and to, to keep things in perspective and provide some context for what's happening and a way in which we could uh, see a way forward and see a way out of it uh, without losing our very minds. And so I've had uh, coronavirus experts on the show. I've had uh, medical doctors, physicians. I've had mental health professionals. Uh, we've assembled the mental health army. We've assembled uh, panels of social justice. and. Uh, racial uh, awareness panels with non-Black allies. Um, In April, uh, I just went off. I mean, I was just so fed up with uh, the GOP and the Republicans. We did one show where we just let uh, Dr. Oz, Dr. Phil, and Dr. Drew, renowned figures of, uh, you know, television lore, as far as their uh, respective expertise, Uh, I let them have it, (laughs) you know, uh, there was a show in April, I had about 12 guests on, um, all of them either black or brown, and we just went after these cats for, um, siding with this nonsense with hydroxychloroquine being, um, an acceptable remedy, uh, and siding with, uh, the occupant of the White House that, you know, we should be using it. And I, I, you know, I'm like, you know what? we're not having it so we went into november uh it was a very contentious election with joe biden and uh donald trump uh joe biden selected uh senator kamala harris out of oakland california to be his running mate uh there was a lot of um concern about him selecting a black woman to to run the first in history ever to be on a major ticket for uh democratic or a uh, political party um, the election again was very very heated uh, the debates were fiery uh trump was being trump being his ridiculous and childish self and uh make a long story short joe biden won beat him soundly in a landslide last count in the popular vote was a victory gap of at least 7 Million plus votes. And as of this recording, Trump is still trying to contest the, uh, the results of the election. He's still trying to find a way uh, for January 6th to not go down to where uh, they certify the election in Congress. Uh, there's a January 5th runoff happening in Georgia with uh, Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff going up against Kelly Leffler and David Perdue. Uh, the favorites are probably the Republicans because you know Joe Biden actually won Georgia, flipped that state, first Democratic uh, candidate to win Georgia in well over 20 years. Uh, so Georgia is essentially a purple state. And in order to claim control of the Senate, they're gonna have to win these last two races, this runoff coming up next week on January 5th. Early voting numbers are already shattering records. Uh, Turnout is going to be tremendous, Uh, and speaking of turnout, there was record-setting turnout for the general election. Uh, The most vote cast for any uh, presidential race happened in 2020, okay? So uh, anytime we can increase the voter participation, that's a good thing. Um, Republicans have long feared that that was not going to be a good look for them, and they were right, because they know they can't win a straight-up fair election. Uh, without cheating. And so Biden did beat him soundly, badly. Uh, It was predicted on this show that he would beat him badly, soundly, and he did. And uh, he will be sworn in in a few weeks after we get across to 2021, all right? And so uh, I'll just say uh, by the grace of God, uh, we're here. We made it. Uh, Some of us didn't, however. I'm going to have some final thoughts on all of that. Um, But right now, I want to uh, turn it over to Grammy award-winning legendary singer uh, Patty Austin for a word about the Georgia runoffs coming up uh, very, very shortly. So stand by for that.
3: Georgia,
4: you're not just voting for you. No, you're voting for
3: me too.
4: Georgia, I got you on my mind. You have got a chance today to keep the U in USA. Oh, Georgia, say can you see you could save my democracy? Oh, Georgia, you're not just voting for you. No, you're voting for me, too. Georgia, you're not just voting for you. No, you're voting for me, too. washing hands and wearing masks but you could save the planet's ass oh georgia we're all waiting to see if you've left the confederacy well welcome to the 21st century Now you're voting for me too you could sit around and mope and say yo, oh, what's the difference for you Just get out and vote, just two senators in blue, Georgia you know what to do, Georgia you're not just voting for you, no, you're voting for me too. Late at Christmas give Georgia. You know what to do. You are non conspiracy Vote that crap away from me. Georgia, you know what? You know what to do. Georgia.
1: Yeah, so you're voting for me too. You hear what Patty Austin said? <laughs> So uh, there's still more work to be done, and uh, people have got to get involved, stay engaged, and uh, we got to get 2021 set off right. Uh, Give Kamala and Joe a majority in the Senate so they can actually get some things done, get some relief to the people, um, bring down this debt, uh, reopen the economy, Biden has a new cabinet coming in place, the most diverse in history. Uh, 2021 is looking uh, like it's going to be more promising than 2020. And, uh, hey, we're all here for it. So I just want to say to all of those that we lost, uh, we still carry you with us. It has been a very, very painful 2020, ladies and gentlemen, very painful 2020. And... We can only hope that we can do more than just look for the silver linings through, a, you know, in, in the midst of a very tumultuous year. We hope that we don't have to just settle for moral victories in 2021. We want the whole shebang, okay? We want a democratic majority in the Senate and the House. We want our schools back open eventually when they're safe to do so. We want real professionals and real mature adults running the country and enacting policies that the public and the people want. There's going to be contentious debates on both sides, as we've had on this show, between uh, liberals and Democrats and progressives. We're going to have those arguments, and we're going to have those discussions on this show, and there's going to be some contentious battles ahead of us. But we're going to be right here covering it, as we have done for all of 2020 and going into 2021 and we are here for you. Um, It is the joy of my life to be able to do this for you and to do this with you. Um, I have definitely taken some L's in the year of 2020, so I'm tired, I'm exhausted, uh, yet and still I look forward to 2021. So I want to thank all of the guests that have participated on Psychotic Bump School, and um, you know who you are. At last count, I think we had upwards of 255, 260 guests that have walked through psychotic Bomb schools. So if I took the time to name all of you, I'd be here for another 90 minutes. But uh, for tonight's guests anyway, I definitely want to thank Hannibal Tabu. And uh, I want to tell y'all that uh, I love you. Thank you for your support. All our peoples in San Jose, Sacramento, Los Angeles, Wichita, Kansas, uh the country of finland uh, all over the world south africa we see you out there too australia uh, we know you're listening thank you so very 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 much for tuning into psychotic bump school uh i am your host uh dj rome um, kcwg TheTruth.com. this program is called psychotic bump school we're here every monday evening from 5 30 p.m to 7 p.m pacific time check back with us we shall return in 2021 also want to send a very, very special shout out to all the mothers out there, all the single mothers out there, all the people that have fought through every single adversity. And I particularly especially want to shout out all the essential workers who didn't have the luxury of being able to stay home. You kept this country afloat in 2020. All you essential workers, you doctors, you nurses, you dental workers, uh, you school teachers, and all those single parents out there that have held fort down. Uh, You have no idea what you've done to preserve the very idea of the United States of America. So I'm signing off for 2020. This is DJ Rome. I also want to send a very, very special shout out to Frank Starks, who's the Iron Man behind the board. And we're out of here, y'all. Happy New Year. We'll see you in 2021. Take care.